Josh is going to preach to us today, and I know you'll welcome him. And for my wife and I, this will be wonderful. I get to sit there and put my arm around her. It'd be like going out on a date, and it won't cost me anything. So this is really good. So in all sincerity, we're just thrilled uh, for what God has to say to us through our young friend, Josh Regard. Josh, come on up here. Let me give you a hug, and then you can preach the word. Yeah, I'm going to make him hug me. Good morning. I don't really know what Pastor Dusa was trying to say about no payment. Uh, I'm going to talk to him after the service about payment plan. Uh, good morning to all of you. I just wanted to say hello. Um, as many of you know me, I'm Josh Regard. Uh, I, my dad was the pastor at this church for what about 15 years? Wow, it's been a long time. It's been I've I've been at this church for a long time. I'm I feel old, but but I I, I know a lot about this church. Um, I just want to say I just thank you for letting me be able to speak in front of you today. I don't take that opportunity lightly. Um, wow, it's just something beautiful. I actually remember the, the very first sermon I ever preached was at this church, and people have already come up to me talking to me about it so far, and. Um, this is kind of how it went, and this is me quoting. This was the very first thing I believe I said in the whole sermon was, I've always wanted to say this, can I get an amen? <laughs> and then the rest of the sermon, yeah, there we go. And then the rest of the sermon was easy because I just made fun of my dad the whole time. So, I mean, I don't even know if there's any, like, biblical content in the sermon. So, it, um, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, a little bit about me. Um, I go to Trebekah Nazarene University down in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, there I go to a church called Gordonsville Church of the Nazarene. Uh, see, the church in the south is very similar to church up here, except for uh, people have fewer, fewer fingers and we have more potlocks. That's about the only difference <laughs> between it. Um, I'm a Nazarene down there, uh, and I currently hold a local pastor's license uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. Oh, man, growing up this church, I've had so many great memories of... This church. And I know a lot about it. One thing I know is we've had a lot of locations. <laughs> we've been in Allentown. We've been in Whitehall. We've been in Northampton, which is now, and over there, which is now, I think, Rainbow, Rainbow Butterfly Daycare Happy Land Center. <laughs> and now we're in this building right now. I know that this church has led many people to Christ. I know that through this church, many people have been brought to ministry and the call of ministry has been brought upon. And I know that this church has been built around and on, because yesterday I said, I just on and people yelled at me because they're like, it's on the ceiling too. On God's promises, literally, because we literally, I was literally here when we were writing it on the floorboards and on the ceiling tiles. So now people can't yell at me for not mentioning ceiling tiles. You're good. (laughs) This is what I know about our church. A little bit more about me. I believe that every single person should have people in their life that they, they base their, their that they, that they got their purpose from, who, who they derive their purposes in life from. And for me, there have been four people in my life that have, that have really stuck out to me. One of these people being my brother-in-law, Matt. As many of you know, uh, they had a startup church called Crossover. And when they first started, they had a, he would pray. And he would be like, this is, this is exactly what he would do when he'd pray. Father God. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
And then you just keep on going. But I was like, what is the point to behind this? And he said, God, which was really funny. But I said, what's the point of this? It, it, what's one thing you learn in college is you have to take time in prayer. You have, to, you have to devote time. He thought so hard about what he was going to say that he would take these long pauses because he wanted to emphasize what he was going to say. He knew the importance behind what he was saying. And I, and I take that to heart. So he's one person that I have looked up to. And he's one person I like to devote my prayer life to. The second person is my, my youth pastor, Pastor Mike. Many of you know him. Chad over there loves him. <laughs> he, oh man, he was such a mentor to me. He, he, he's taught me so much growing up. He has, his attitude has always been so uplifting. I have, from someone who can have a bad attitude, I look up to that so much. He is such a good outlook on life and he is such a good mentor and he knows that he knows where he where he belongs. He knows his place. He knows that 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 God loves him and that that he, God must come first in his life. And I look up to him so much. The third person being uh, my grandfather on my mom's side, the one that's actually sitting right there. He is the most generous man I've ever met in my life. He has always been giving to people. He has been giving to the church, and he is generous with us. I just, I don't know how one person can be so generous. I, for me, that's, that's hard to see. But I, I look up to that. I, I, I admire that fact. And the last person was my original inspiration for becoming a pastor. It was my own father. I love that man. Uh, the only call that I've had long is to become a pastor. I've never had a calling that has been more amazing upon my life. I have known this since I was probably about five years old that I wanted to become faster. And that is the one thing that hasn't changed. Going to college, many people change their majors. I just knew even more because I saw God working through my own father. But that's, that's, that's how much I love this church. This church has meant so much to me over the years. And the only way this church has survived is through God's provision. God has provided for us time and time again. And that is what I'd like to talk to you about today. The thing is, we must all do our part if we wish for this church to grow. Because God's provision is wonderful. And if we know that, that's our, that, 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 is what he, that is what he's here for, we also must know that we have to do a part with little lack in the provision of God. This can be done. Dear Father, I just want to thank you today. I just want to thank you for today for this church, this body of believers. I want to thank you for, for this time that we have, that this time that we get to share, this time that we get to just embrace you, get to follow and worship and get to truly come close to you, God. I love the words of that song because that's all we want to do is just come close to you and just never let go. Amen. God, I thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I pray for this day and I pray for this church. I pray that you do as you've done before to continue to work miracles in this church. I thank you, Father God. Oh, I thank you. And you may pray. Amen. Okay. I promise I won't cry this whole sermon. I get that from my dad. Okay. So today we'll be reading out of Luke 4, 1 through 12. And before reading through Luke, we have to realize what Luke is about. You see, Luke is about a universal salvation for all. Every gospel has their own purpose. Luke is all about universal salvation, and I love that about Luke. Luke is amazing. 
You see, however, in order to understand the story, what we're about to read is Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And what must be understood is what kind of God we are about to address. You see, when... when when this was happening, this is before Jesus' ministry. This is, this is before any of that happened. So what we must know is that what kind of, what kind of God is, are people expecting? It could be the royal Davidic Messiah who was meant to reestablish the kingdom of Israel, who would shed hope upon those who are being oppressed by Rome. Or it could be the priestly Messiah. This Messiah would purify Israel. This is the Messiah that people are expecting. And this is why this, this story is so important. Because it sets up who Jesus is. It sets up, it shows not only us, but it shows them who, what kind of God Jesus is, is, is really, what kind of God is really working through Jesus and who, who, he, who is inside him. Let us read today. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness, where the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing at this time and was very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, change the stone into a loaf of bread. Just because... But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People need more than bread for their life. Then the devil took him and received him in all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Revealed to him all the kings of the world in that time. The devil told him, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them because they are mine and I will give them to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if all you do is bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him up to Jerusalem to the highest point on the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he orders his angels to protect and guide you, and they will hold you, your hands, so that way you cannot strike a foot on the ground. Jesus responds, the scripture says, do not test the Lord your God. So I already said that this came before his ministry. We begin, we begin in Luke 4.1. Jesus coming full of the Holy Spirit from the Jordan. What is that trying to say? That is trying to reference baptism. That is referencing his baptism. Now, now the funny thing about the Holy Spirit here is, okay, so a little lesson for you. This is all I learned in my, my whole entire year of taking Greek. <laughs> Spirit means pneuma. Isn't that cool? Yeah, cool. Spirit is pneuma and what is referred to as wind or a breathing entity. See, this, this is therefore saying that he is entrusted to the Lord. The Spirit can also be taken in two ways. This is by, it could be by means of the Spirit, which is in the instrumental sense. This is implying that you must take action. The other is being in the Spirit, where it's saying location. So he is physically in the Spirit. So this is what must be known, is that Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. He is flowing through him at this time. In Luke 4.2, we talk about 40 days. Now, as many of you know, 40 days is huge in the Bible. One thing that must be understood is that this is insane in the Bible, biblical text. 40 days, as in reference to Luke 2, Luke 4, 2, throughout the Bible, the number of 40 days has been shown time of testing. For example, the 40 years of testing of Israel in the Old Testament. Testing even occurred directly from God in Genesis 22, 1 and 2 Samuel 24.1. It goes even further. The devil even tests people, as he does in this verse. There are also three temptations brought up in this passage. The thing is, these are all very plausible temptations. 
And that's what we must that's what we must understand. The first temptation, however, was wise because of the fact that Jesus was physically hungry, having not eaten during this time. We're talking about going all this time without eating. The first temptation was a physical need, and that is one thing that many people like to look past, but it is so significant. So we begin with test number one. Luke three four. Luke three to four. Within Luke 4.4, 4, what must be known as the importance of bread being the first temptation, by having the devil bring up the making of bread, he, this is in direct correlation to Deuteronomy 8.3, which Jesus quotes in response to the devil. So as you can see, Jesus is quoting scripture back to the devil whenever he, whenever he tries to make a rebuttal. Within Deuteronomy 8.3, the provision of manna is brought up. That is relating back to Moses and Israel's time of struggle. Jesus is challenged to repeat the size of God's provision. But you see, by doing so, he would be abusing his sonship. Because he would be serving his needs over God's. Some, some may say, what's the big deal? It is because God is meant for more than simply to make bread. His, his, his work should be much more than this. And by doing this, he, he is, he's doing something for himself rather than doing it for God. See, he knows Who's going to provide for him? He, the reason he doesn't have to make it is because he knows that God will provide. He knows that in everything God will provide. That has been a huge saying in my house. That's one thing my dad's always said my whole life is God will provide. And you know what he has? Don't know how uh, in, some, in some cases. But the Lord always provides. And actually this is one reason I really wanted to talk about this today. Is because that has just been a huge part of this, this church and the my family's life is just the fact that God provides for us. The Lord provides in like funny ways too. Let me tell you something. We're about to go off on a story. One Easter, I uh, my parents my parents went away. I think they were at my sister's or something, but I couldn't go. I think I had work or something, but I did not have a place to go for Easter. So I have this family that uh, I love so much. They're, their names are the Maddens, Mr. and Mrs. Madden, and Patrick. Patrick I went to high school with. And I still am very good friends with them today. And I went over to their house after going to church, of course. And we get to the dinner table. And they're like, hmm, who's going to pray for us? Oh, wait, the guy who wants to be a pastor. So it happens to me everywhere I go. And you know what? It's cool. It's cool. So I'm like, yeah, let me pray. Let me pray for you. I'll do that. No problem. And uh, his grandparents are there. So it's, just, it's, me, it's me and the family and then uh, his grandparents on his mom's side. And he pray, I just pray. I just pray. Something like this comes to my head. And after I get done, I open my eyes. And his grandmother's sitting over there like, that was so beautiful. <laughs> and I'm just like, I was just praying. I'm, there's nothing much to me. But it's so funny because now whenever they have family get-togethers, They'll always ask Patrick to pray. And Patrick will pray, and then his grandmother will be be like, Patrick, that was so wonderful. But do you remember when Josh prayed for us that Easter? (laughs) So he is forever living in my shadow because of that. Yes, and I'm happy to say he's sitting right back there. So I had to say that story. I mean, I couldn't just let him get away without it. So... See, if we can humble ourselves and and, and pray, like do something as simple as praying, why can't we just humble ourselves and be patient on God's provision? Amen? See, this is the importance of God being greater than physical needs. See, we put ourselves ourselves before God, and yet we wonder why things are going wrong. (laughs) 
We put our own physical needs before God, and yet we wonder why things are going wrong. See, this is why this one test is so significant. So we move on to the next test. The next test, Luke 4, 5, and 8. Later in the text, the devil brings up the proposition of authority over the kingdoms to Jesus. Not surprisingly, Jesus once again uses the Deuteronomic text in order to make his claim in Luke 4, 8. This is in direct correlation, of course, to Deuteronomy. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13, as well as Deuteronomy 10, 20. You see here, Jesus states, worship the Lord your God and serve him. But wait, what does he add? Only. He adds the word only. Now, no, what is this? This is nothing? No. This is, this is showing the significance of only having one God in your life. He's saying that we, cannot, we cannot serve more than one God. We must only worship God. Now, let me tell you all something. Jesus felt temptation. I don't know if you realize that. I know everyone thinks he's like some super, like, you know, like a, like a superhero. He felt temptation. So during this time, he's still feeling all of this, but yet he still chooses to put his faith in God. Oh, oh, but what do we worship? What do we worship? Let me see. We worship celebrities. We worship music artists. We worship, oh wait, let me think. The law. Friends, the law's not bad. The law's not bad. But I don't put all my faith in the law. Just because I, 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 I'm, I must follow it, I don't put my faith in the law. Let's go even further, shall we? I don't put my faith in religion. Religion, this is one thing that is so messed up in churches nowadays, is, is they focus so much on what the religion says rather than what, you know, the Bible says and what God is supposed to be telling you. Let, let me tell you something. You know why I know? This is, this, is, this is really good. I want you to all remember this. You know why I know I put my faith in God and I don't put my faith in religion? Because with today's laws changing, our religion is changing. Let me tell you something. God never changes. God is something. God is one person that always changes. See, religion is not bad though, because but it is there. So it is. It is to set up. It is set up boundaries. It is to give us structure to help us grow. But it is not what we worship. Let me go one more for you. One more. The Bible. Friends, I used to say, tell people, I'm, you know, I'm religious about the Bible. Mm-mm. I go to college and I'm like, ooh, I'm wrong. You're not religious about it. The Bible is a book. See, it's funny. One of, one of my professors at college, he, puts, he put uh, on the test, on one of our tests, it was a really silly question. It said, like, um, was, the, was there like a lightning bolt? And bam, the Bible was just struck on the ground. And it sounds silly, but it's because he really wanted to emphasize how important it is that we don't worship the Bible. It's the fact that the Bible is important, don't get me wrong, but it is a collection of documents so that we can, that we can grow and learn about God and Jesus' ministry. But it is there so that way we can learn about God and we can grow, and we can grow in our Christian walk. That is why it is so important to have the Bible. But the Bible's not God. I don't worship this book, but it is a tool that I use so that way I can grow closer to God. I worship God and God alone. You see, the reason I say this is because if we are to worship God and God alone, we are putting our trust in Him. 
And when we are putting our trust in him, therefore we know whose provision we are relying on. That wasn't good enough. I need another amen. amen. Okay, that was good. Okay, and then we get to the biggest point of the text. We get to the biggest point of the text, and I love this part so much. I love it. It is test number three. You're talking about Luke 4, 9 through 12. For the last temptation, the devil brings Jesus up to the winglet of the temple. Now, you see, not much is known about this temple, but what is known is that it is believed to be the highest point from the, of the southeast wall of the temple from top to the valley below. So we're talking steep, okay, people? Before, Jesus used what thought to be scripture to fend off the devil. So now Jesus, so now the devil thinks he's being smart, so he quotes Psalm 91, 11 through 12 as a rebuttal to Jesus. Because he's like, ha, huh, you use scripture, bam, I use scripture too. Uh, you know, no. <laughs> but you see, this shows how stupid the devil is, people. Because he does not understand the purpose behind this. He does not understand. Jesus is not using the biblical text to fend off the devil. He's using it to sustain himself. He's using it because that's what he relies on in order for us and for order to, to him to be strong enough. What did I tell you, people? He felt temptation. Not to mention, this guy's starving the whole time. I mean, in the Regard family, we don't even know what the word starving means. I mean, crying a lot of our friends that come to our come to our, our house, and they'll be sitting here, and and they'll be like, "Man, you guys have so much sweets all over the place." Like, no, and I'm like, "It's horrible. I can never lose weight." I mean, crying out loud, people. Like, we'll be sitting down for dinner, and and my dad will be full, and he'll just be like crawling on the table, being like, oh, "Okay, I'm good. Just bring me some pie when you're ready." And I'll be like, "Dad, can we at least leave the restaurant first? Oh, man, I had to do that. I had to make fun of my dad at least once. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. It's, it's a habit. But you see, this, that is to say that this is not easy. This is not easy. That being said, the final test that the devil proposes to Jesus is, a test, is the one that tests God's promises. But then Jesus makes it clear that God's promises should never be tested. Because if we truly believe in them, there's no need to test them. If we truly place our faith in God and we rely on his provision, there is no need to be te- there's no need for them to be tested. Like wow. Like yeah. Like get hype people. <laughs> so you see the main topic of this whole entire piece here is temptation. But you see so many people just see temptation they think okay, yeah, I'll just run from it. I mean that's what I would do. Just run from it. But there's so much more here. You see, this is this, also within this passage, it is in direct correlation to Deuteronomy during Israel's times of temptation with bread, testing of the Lord, and idolatry. Because of this, what do we learn? We learn that the God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament. And, and friends, I want to tell you something. The God of the New Testament is still the God of today. And he's still the God of tomorrow. And so on and so forth. But my favorite piece, my favorite piece of the scripture is, okay, I'll tell you what, people, I took a biblical exegesis class this semester, and that is basically telling you how to, like, dig into scripture. I wrote, like, a 20-age exegetical paper in that class just on, just, on, just on 12 verses alone, and I've never been the same since. I mean, I'm telling you, I thought I could never speak, and now I'm just like, oh, man, there's way too much to talk about in only 45 minutes. And, but I have to tell you, my favorite piece in this scripture is the irony. See, the irony, irony that this temple, 
that the third test has taken place at? I think this thing fell off. No, we're good. Cool. Third te- the, the, the third test is in Jerusalem. Now, you see, what do we know about Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where Jesus would not die at this time, but where he would eventually die. Okay. So what does that say? That is saying that it is, it is notable to remember that Jesus chose God over himself now, but then he does it again, but in death. Oh, 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 but wait. You see, by accepting death, Jesus is defeating death. Amen. Therefore, showing God's provision, even in death. People, I'm talking about while we're alive. But I mean, like, we're death. God provides for us throughout our entire life, and then some. And do you people even realize what, what Jesus did for us? I mean, I didn't. I mean, yeah, he died on the cross. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought that was a cool sacrifice. Do you even know what you have to go through when you're being crucified? People, we're talking all about an all-powerful, we're talking about an all-powerful God, correct? Amen. Well, then why couldn't he have brought Jesus back when they were beheading people? Why couldn't he have brought Jesus back when they were doing lethal injection? But rather, no, he brought them back when the Romans invented the worst possible way to die. And I'm not, I'm not just saying it. It's literally the worst possible way to die. You even know how you die through crucifixion? When you are up on that cross, you don't die from the torture. You don't die from the nails and all the blood loss. People, you're up on there, and he's sitting there on that cross. And he, he can't breathe, because at this angle he can't breathe. So what you have to do is you have to find the strength to pull yourself up. <gasps> Take a breath. And then go back down. Until he needs more breath. Until he gets more strength and he takes a breath. It goes back down. And he keeps taking a breath. And he keeps taking a breath. Until he can't hold himself up no longer. And he suffocates. So you're telling me after all of that, how do you die? You suffocate. That is literally the worst possible way to die. Yet we can't set aside two minutes for him. Why is this so important? Church, this is so important. Because by understanding the sacrifices that Jesus made for us, we must understand how great of a sacrifice we must make for him. I just love that. You see, we, we, we can't just give a little. We have to give everything to God. I would like you all to ponder the title of this sermon. This sermon today, I have entitled, Just Enough is Not Enough. Now, why do you say that? Because we've been talking about God's provision and how God's been great and uh, how we always just rely on Him. It is because after we know who we put our faith in, we have to take action. We have to do something about it. Church, I've been at this church for, what, 15 years? And I'll tell you what, I have been here during this church, this church's best moments. Oh, oh, but I have been here at this church's worst moments. 
But you see, if we're going to do something about it, if we're going to make a change, we have to stick to this church. And we have to keep we have to keep it growing. We have to keep building. We can't let what happened in the past happen in the future. You see, friends, behind all everything that has happened in this church, I have said this is my church. This is my church. I was here. I was here when we were back in Allentown. And we would go nightly on the streets and we would proclaim God's word and to even like homeless people, just give them something to eat. Just to, just to tell people how much Jesus loved them. But I was here. I was here when we would set aside church work days so we could come and, and help build this church's foundation, literally. And not a single person would come. Not a single one. But I was here. I was here when we would throw musicals during Christmas time so that way we could show the community what God is doing in our church, what God, what kind of talent we have in our church and the kind of people that we are. And I'll tell you what, we were sold out every night because of this. <laughs> oh, but I was here. I was here when we would let our own political views get in the way of the real reason for being at church for the real purpose of going to church that was my church (laughs) oh but I was here I was here when our children's ministry and our youth group got so big that we had no more room for them and we had to put them on separate nights because of how big because how big our ministry got and didn't I say it's hard it's hard people it's hard In times of struggle. Because I was here when beloved Patsy Workheiser was diagnosed with cancer and not even a year later taken home to be with the Lord. But you see, there is one thing I know. I know that she loved the Lord. And I know where she is today. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And yes, we do. We are sorry and we are sad. But she knew who, who God's provide that, that God was always providing for her. He, she knew who was the provider over her life. It was God. That was my church. And my church was one that even through all the struggles and all the hard times, we still found a way to make it work. We still found a way to get by. You know why? Because God has always provided for us. Now, now, church, this is no longer my church. I've moved on. But I'll tell you something. This church is always going to be with me everywhere I go. Every church I go to, every place I'm at. Now, see, my church is not necessarily the same as what your church is. I've told you what my church is. But now it's your, now it's your turn find out for yourself you see because I know I know what our church has been through and I'll tell you what we can make we can learn from our past and we can build a better future and I'll tell you what I was so happy when I walked in this church because I didn't notice a lot of people 
And you know what that's telling me? That's telling me that this church is growing. We're getting more people. If I don't know you, that's a good thing. I would love to meet you. I'm telling you. I'm looking at all these faces right now. I don't know you. But I would love to meet you. I really would. But that's such a good thing. It's showing the growth in this church. But you see, I have told you what my church was. I've told you what my church was. And through the thick and thin, I've loved it. And I still do today. But what did I say? My church is not necessarily what your church is. So I'm going to leave you this one question. What's your church?